Hello, and welcome to Pod Space Nine, the last stop for trash in the Alpha Quadrant. This is a rewatch podcast for Star Trek D Space Nine, featuring two veteran viewers and one newbie. My name is Justin, and I'll be your away team commander. Joining me is my science officer, Anna, with our acting ends in Jude. Jude, Anna, how you doing? I'm, I, mm, I'm as good as you can possibly do after you've eaten a large order of Taco Bell to celebrate the start of a new season of Deep Space Nine uh, recording. Uh, they have this new like braised beef thing and it's in a, sh- it's in like a corn tortilla and then they deep fry it. And then they give you two kinds of sauce to dip it in. And one of them is that like machine nacho cheese, like you get from a gas station. <laughs> It's a lot. And man, let me tell you, I'm going to be adding my own special Foley to this episode. You're welcome, Zathras. Meanwhile, I am recording this from a hotel as I am at a conference for work and decided that like amidst all of the conference chaos, I wanted like one normal thing. Uh, And thus we are recording. Nice. That's you, fair. Y'all, it, listeners, you are my you are my excuse to like not like go out and socialize with people tonight. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like some sort of weird amount of like, you know, like I would not say proud. Proud is the word I'm looking for correctly. Like the, this like feeling of community that we that we are in fact a normal thing for you. Yes. Yes. Is it? Yeah. It's proud slash sorry. <laughs> that we're your normal so it has been an unspecified amount of time since we last recorded uh because frankly it's we, we we're taking time off there there's a lot of things going on in the world right now I and mean, it's not even like we personally are doing bad we're, we're like we're, we're doing all right we've just got to figure out like yeah there's a lot going on yeah there is there's a lot going on that's true yes indeed yeah Tonight, however, we decided to open season two, like DS9 opened season two, by doing, we've done three episode episodes before, but we have never done one when one of the episodes wasn't just a total stinker or we didn't care about. Yeah, I I was racking my brain to think if we had done three good episodes in a row, and I'm 100% sure we haven't. Like three three good episodes in one episode. But they, these all relate, though. Yeah, in a row in the sense of like in in one episode. We also, I don't think we've ever done three recordings in a row. So, you know, we could try that for extra punchiness sometime. <laughs> um, we'd have to do wow. that like on a weekend. Otherwise, I would just pat. I would pass out from heat stroke. That's <laughs> that's what would happen. It's It's summer here. It's like, and it's just... That's right. We have to inject as many as many uh, temporal references into this episode so that when Zathras, Zathras releases it six months from now or whenever it is, these they make no sense. No yeah. sense at all. What's the most recent holiday we can talk about? I feel like this is a gift that we're giving our listeners that they can, as they listen, they can try to you know, listen along and try to figure out exactly when we recorded each of these. You know, it's a little puzzle for them as a treat. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I like it. Well, speaking of three episodes in a row, what are we talking about tonight, Justin? Well, tonight we are covering the first three episodes of season two. Those are The Homecoming, The Circle, and The Siege. Um, We are going to do 
a modified format for this because, frankly, these are three episodes that are meant to be consumed as one story. So we're going to do one long tag team uh, summary. And I will, we are, we are also going to allow a lot more digression in these summaries. <laughs> uh, because, more, you know. A little more free, free flowing than, than, yeah, than usual. Yeah. This is going to be a tornado tag match. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a, one of my favorite match ta- stipulations. Tornado tags. All right. So uh, we're going to start with The Homecoming, which is episode one of season two. Story by Jerry Taylor and Iris Stephen Bear. Teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear. Directed by Winridge Colby. Our season opens with Odo confronting Quark about... Quark tipping him off about defective merchandise. Odo thinks Quark's up to something. You're always up to something, Quark. Um, But Quark explains to Rom that the 74th rule of acquisition is, every once in a while, declare peace. It confuses your enemy. (laughs) As it turns out, he's meeting with an alien who, like, is one of the, like, I don't know. Yeah, he is is meeting with a hot alien woman who would definitely step on him. Yeah, no. Uh, So I have to to inject here because the note that I made in this episode right here is Quark has extremely big brat energy. Oh my gosh, he, he really does. He just wants someone to punish him, whether that is a hot, whether that is a mean pirate captain or or a wet fascist. Or he a wants, wet fascist. He wants someone to step on him and tell him he's step on his ear and tell him he he's he's a bad capitalist. I mean <laughs> I can't believe that I like I I you know, not the capitalist part, but like you know Quark I get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We're off to a, we're off to the races. <laughs> Listen, it's not First paragraph. Listen, we didn't even we get out of the, the first paragraph. Deci- we weren't the ones who, like, who, when making this episode, decided we were going to have a smuggler captain in a bodysuit. Um, <laughs> who, whose, like, first line is to ask Quark about his lobes. Yeah, who opens with, how was your lobes? That's like going up to somebody and being like, how's your dick? I've never said that to anyone. But see, see, with the Ferengi, it has a double entendre. So it's like, how's your business dick? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I guess. I mean, I don't. That makes me hate it a little less. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just like, yeah. Um, So this alien provides him with a Bajoran earring that she found on Cardassia 4. He shows it to Kira who takes the earring to Cisco to borrow a runabout. The earring belongs to Lee Nallis, a resistance leader back from the occupation. She wants to take a shuttle to rescue him, as Bajor is sort of going into the shit right now um, with factional infighting and like religious squabbles with the departure of Kaiopaka. Cisco tells Kira that he'll have to think about it, while O'Brien summons Cisco and Odo to see a symbol graffitied onto the wall from a xenophobic faction on Bajor called the circle or the glo- the alliance for global unity which they just de- decide <laughs> never to drop again like just just call your factions one thing and yeah. just roll with it the amount of stupid political party names in like human history is so expansive that you can call a faction anything you want and i'll be like meh sure not the dumbest thing i've heard 
Cisco tells Jadzia in private that he's worried that their work on Bajor is becoming undone. And Dax says, give Kira the runabout. <laughs> O'Brien ends up going with Kira to Cardassia 4. Kira t- tells him either that they bring back Lee or they don't come back at all. Which O'Brien, being like the greatest bro ever, is like, sure, ride or die, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, I love that Miles is just like ready. I forget yeah. that we've already established I, for, I had to go back and look, but we've already established that he's a veteran of the F- Federation Cardassian Wars. So he, yeah, like, yeah. has a bone to pick with Cardassians in general. And oh, you, you yeah. see that in this trilogy. Yeah. Uh, because he's just like, oh, a chance to go shoot a Cardassian? Yes, yes, ma'am. Sign me up. I actually think that this, is a, this was a character trait they established in Next Generation. I don't, yeah, I don't know where it comes from originally, but I do know that they've mentioned it previously on DS9, which is where, which is where I was getting the reference for it. Um, But I like that, like the normally amiable chummy Miles O'Brien turns into like fucking Rambo when you tell him he get he's going to get a chance to go take on the car, the the Cardies. Yeah, it's, and it's like, it's because like whenever they make an opportunity to make O'Brien have a character trait, it is whatever the most work class thing is. And one of those is he's a veteran. Yeah. So like, you know. Yeah. And and it's also mixed with like he's seen he's seen Cardassian torture, et cetera, like pretty firsthand mm-hmm. and is like, yeah, no, like I cannot I cannot allow this to continue. Let's go. Yeah. And I love that about Miles. Yeah. Yeah. So they bluff their way past a Cardassian's customs checkpoint and beam down to the planet after finding a dozen Bajoran life signs. Kira and O'Brien sneak into the camp by Kira posing as a sex worker. Then they begin a violent jailbreak. Uh, they're able to escape with the help of four prisoners uh, who stay behind to keep the Cardassians occupied. When Kira gets back, Sisko is t- talking with Gul Dukat who makes a formal apology on behalf of the Cardassian Union for still having Bajoran prisoners. And the prisoners left behind will be sent back to Bajor. I, let, let me sum up Gul Dukat's statement here for you. Oopsie doodle. Our bad. We forgot they were there. So sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's the... Uh, if I yeah. miss something, let me know. Yeah, but that's no, the gist of you got it. it. You got it. No, it's... We're sorry. It's... We're sorry we got caught. Yes. I mean, yes, that is the undercurrent, but he is, so, I mean, it is such a mind-bogglingly stupid, apolo- like, not even apology, it's just like, it's so wild that he's just like, we forgot they were there. Wow. I mean, Goldicott would be, like, perfectly at home making a, you know, non-apology apology for, like you know, some sort of corporation who has, like, done something horrible. ExxonMobil? <laughs> I, I, I'm like, Marco Lima seems like a pretty chill dude. I'm pretty sure I can get him to read, like, corporate, like, apology tweets. <laughs> <laughs> As Goldicott. Like, yeah. hold on, hold on. I'm gonna look on Cameo. Oh, please. That would be so funny. Um, cameo, personalized videos feature. Uh, okay. Uh, damn it. <laughs> He's not a cameo. God damn it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, the man could have it up for a day and he would just need to say attention Bajoran workers like 20 <laughs> times and he would be set for a year of like more of like mortgage payments. <laughs> yeah. 
In sickbay, Lee is reticent to talk about his past campaigns, but he is delighted to see that the Bajoran people are now free. People around the station are already flocking to see him, with a fucking Dracula from the Bajoran government showing up to formally <laughs> welcome him home. I He has a name, Minister Jaro. I forgot it so many times because all I could think of after you called him Dracula was Dracula. It's it, Yeah. It's, he has a name, Jaro. But we he has call two him names. Dr- he is given he is given a personal name, not just a surname. His name is Jaro Essa. Yeah, and but like, the only person who calls him Essa is the worst person on this show while she's giving him fuck me eyes. And I won't I would rather not think back on that. So let's just stick with Dracula. Yeah, no, um so listeners, uh Minister Jaro is played by Frank Langella, um, who is uncredited in this episode in any of the episodes. Um, as he did this apparently just for his kids, they will, they, they, what a, what an absolute goddamn boss who's just like, oh, you guys love Star Trek. I'll go do some Star Trek so you guys can come on set and see what's up. And I mean, apparently he was really into Star Trek. If we talk about his romantic life, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) oh, that's, I got it. I get it. Uh, yeah, he was Uh, also, uh. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg's partner for what 10 years or something like that yeah for a while for a while um, like yeah so but yeah uh, Jaro says that formally if Kira does something like this again it'll cost her her commission but privately he thanks her Lee addresses the crowd saying it's good to be home while Quirk is counting profits after hours he's attacked by a number of circle fanatics who brand him wait is that wait is this a Babylon 5 episode <laughs> Did we just slip and fall into a Babylon 5 episode accidentally? It does. Oh my God. It is yeah. eerily paralleling right? that B5 episode. Uh, yeah. I'm sure oh, JMS is, had true. thoughts about that. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Probably not the kinkiest thing Quark has done either. Yeah. Cisco, Kira, and Lee talk to Quirk, and Kira tries to convince Lee to speak out against the circle. Um, Jake ends up getting dumped by the Bajoran girl he was going to go out with because he's not Bajoran. Alien captain later contacts Cisco that night and reveals that Lee was trying to stow away on a ship leaving for the Gamma Quadrant. Cisco speaks with Lee, who tells him the real story of how he killed the Cardassian Gull, of how he killed the surprise man who was in his underwear, and how the story was embellished into a legend to inspire the Resistance. Sisko tells him that he's needed as a figurehead and that legends are just as powerful as truth. Lee decides to stay and the Bajoran government gives him the title of Navark and is given a new position, the Bajoran liaison officer of DS9, with Kira recalled to Bajor. I'm sure that'll stick. Right, row Yeah. Who's got episode two? That'd be me. I've got the middle. So this is The Circle, written by Peter Allen Fields and directed by Corey Allen. So we pick up from last episode with Cisco and Minister Jaro discussing uh, Kira's impending transfer. Jaro insists it's definitely a promotion. It's transparently obvious that it is very much not. Cisco reiterates that Kira is an invaluable member of his team, uh, but they're interrupted by a call from Jake. There's some brand new circle graffiti on the station, this time on the door, door to their quarters. As Kira packs her quarters, basically everyone shows up. First, Odo, who's furious on her behalf, uh, followed by Dex, Bashir, O'Brien, and Quirk. Uh, in the resulting chaos, the doorbell rings once again, uh, and Kira answers it very sarcastically to be confronted by none other but than Vedic Baryle. 
Kira introduces the others I as love her this friends. Scene. Yeah. So it's, much. It's, it's so funny. It's yeah. such a good scene. Like Quark shows up totally expecting a booty call. Odo <laughs> is just like all indignation. Like Bashir and Dax are just like or like yeah, like Dax is just like Yeah. Well, Dax and Bashir are just like, this is what happens in the Federation. You get called off to, to other duties. They're they're much more blase yeah. about it, seemingly. Yeah, they're just like, this is disappointing, but like we'll say friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Burial shows up and Kira's pants almost jump off her body when the door opens <laughs> and she sees him. And she's like, Oh, these are my friends. And she has this like moment where she realizes that. But at the same time, she's also like distractedly turned on by this monk. Uh who I refer to in another scene as her hunka hunka monk. Because she cannot look at him without giving him eyes. Yeah. There's a great line in the scene where like Kira's like, you all planned this, and Bashir is like Nobody could have planned this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I love it how like some people are there to like say goodbye, like honestly say goodbye. Oh yeah. And it's been great serving with you. I understand how this goes. And then like, there are other people who are like, why are you, we are, we, what building are we here to burn down? <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. And Cork's just there being like, I brought booze. Can we fuck? <laughs> Fucking Quark. And then, uh, and, and I love when like every everybody else is like, "That's an awfully small bottle," and he's like, "Yeah, I expected it just to just be the two of us fucking." He's so transparent. You can't. You kind of. I don't know. Am you I, give am him I comfortable with the fact that Quark is a sex pest? No. <laughs> but am I okay with the fact that he's like? He's relatively honest about it. Yeah. 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 Like, I don't not, I mean, like. It's not better, but it's like less stressing i don't know that's like i think there's the fact that he is just transparent about his motives makes it marginally better it's offensive (laughs) but i don't think let me correct that it's gross but i don't think it's quite as offensive yeah well anyway um so everybody shows up um, after Kira introduces the others as her friends, which is very, very nice, um, Bryle invites her to join him at his monastery to rest and reflect, and she accepts his offer. Uh, before, yes, Jude, rest the air quotes on reflect. rest and reflect. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get we'll get back to that. Between this episode and the next, there is so much banging going on in these Bajoran temple, like monasteries. Right. It's right. like it raises a like lot a, of questions about what the what the uh, the 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 rules are as far as uh, Vedics and sex goes. Because oh, I cannot there, imagine there is a vow it. of yeah. celibacy going on there. No, there's yeah. nothing against that. And it's it's actually okay. kind of like that fun. A lot. Yeah, it's actually kind of like one of the things I like is that like no, their monks can fuck. Yeah, I mean that's it's, and that is the title of the episode, Aaron. Their monks can fuck. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, part. Okay, listen, listen, uh, uh, listen. As part, like, part of the appeal of like a priest kink is the is the forbidden nature of it. But at the same time, it's just like, yeah, sure, yeah. Bajorans just seem like 
I relatively like, Bajorans have the healthy attitude towards a lot of things. It seems like a, a lot of like reasonable things. It seems and like they seem like they don't seem like a very like repressed society. Repressed yeah. society. Like they're not they're not Risa, but they're also like yeah no <laughs> this God. is like they're not really like the culture that has just like oh yes here is our Sarah like here is our traditional garb the banana hammock. Um, like so, you know, some next generation races that I can think about. Um, but God. like, but they're all like they're fine. Like they're fine with it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I Moving know. on I from the the ceremonial banana hammock. Yeah. Um, before Kira leaves the station, um, she she speaks to Lee, uh, who promises to work with Cisco and says that nobody can replace her. And as she departs the station, Cisco promises that he'll get her back soon. Back on Bajor, Kira discovers that she is extremely bad at relaxing. Um, she's restless and frustrated at not being useful. See also me at the start of like any vacation before I have the obligatory like mental breakdown that allows me to like relax afterward. Boreal suggests that she embrace being useless for a while. And as part of her journey of self-discovery, he brings her to the orb of prophecy and change. Go ahead. It's not an orb. Go ahead. Yeah. It's not an orb. It's a cup. I don't care what color it is or what number it is. It's not an orb. It's a cup or a grail or something else. But it's not an orb. Or an hourglass. An hourglass. Also valid. It's not an orb. I love how intensely Kira gardens. I wish I, I wish I could hate something as much as you hate this. I have, I have a lot of hate, uh, but this one really bothers me. I don't understand it. It is such an unnecessary piece of garbage detail. I don't understand it. It's not an orb. They could have just made it an orb. An orb would have been easier to render. A I, sphere takes so much less work for them to do. But they make it a goddamn hourglass and then they call it an orb. It doesn't make sense. I love that we're going to have six full more seasons of this. Just and there's how I many love that orbs? for us. There's how many of these goddamn things? They're going to be coming up all the time. Uh, there's like there's like oh. seven of them. Uh, Christ. And there's like there's also like I think there's like a dark orb if I remember right. Oh, good. Like there's an uh, evil orb, right? I'm, of course, like, I'm not is. making this up. Uh, was it an evil orb? Was it or was it? Uh, uh, Jude, headphones off. Uh, it's not an evil orb. It's evil prophets, right? I don't think that they're in an orb. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, but there is, but there right. is the extra special bonus orb, though. Oh right, right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. The the like the like the Cisco mom orb. <laughs> Rumpf. Oh, God. I, you know, I forgot about that. Like, I legit, like, wiped that from my brain. Uh, like, or at least it's been a long time. And I've done a lot of, I've taken a, I've taken enough mind-altering substances. <laughs> like, not a lot, but I've just taken enough that I forgot it. You're, you're welcome I, for reminding you. I can't wait to find out what that's in reference to. All right, continue. Yeah, so so Kira's visions include Wynn denouncing her as a blasphemer in front of the Vedic Assembly, and also, like, sexy times with Boreal. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Can you imagine like, having a, like, a, bona a bona fide religious experience? The, equi the equivalent would be, you are, it, the year is 5000 BC, 
the shaman has given you um, some mushrooms to induce a religious experience. And good good news, you are you are genetically predisposed to have good experiences with mushrooms. You will become like the future of the human race. Um, and you during your like religious experience, like the mushrooms are telling you to go fuck this dude. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. <laughs> to which I mean, who knows? That could just be like the prophets could just be picking up on Kira's subconscious here and being like, "Do do you need a little bit of like?" Self actualized, babe. Push. You want you're you're looking yeah. for the future. Make the future you want. Yes. Yeah. Like you know, we're, we'll play the we'll play the like the slow, sexy saxophone for you. Uh, God. What's wild to me is it's not that. It's not that. It is not a moment of transcendent joy kneeling in a chapel. It is not righteous. Uh, a sense of like blind righteousness. Uh, it's not mushrooms. It is a weird space cr- space grail that has given her an honest to Christ vision of what God only knows or prophets only know of her banging a monk. <laughs> that is so buck wild. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope for that for her. She is clearly on like she clearly wants that. So I hope that that's in her future. I hope that Wynn's not watching, which appears to be another part of her dream, and I'm hoping that's not in her future. Yeah. But. Well, well, let, let's let's continue with that uh, with the rest of my paragraph here. So, yeah. so Kira and Boreal, of course, discuss the orb experience afterwards, as you you know debrief, debrief after your like transformative religious experience with your with your monk, right? Um, and mm. Boreal states that. You know, he's really interested to hear what happened because, you know, you know, she was in his visions last time he experienced the orb. Um, yeah. Kira of, Kira, of course, like panics and then fibs and was like, no, didn't see you at all. Nope. They then want to run across, of course, Wynn, um, who is just like, she's taken the like shitty meter and turned it up to 15. <laughs> So, so Wynne has turned to her, like, personal shittiness meter, which, like, she's usually at, like, 9.5. Uh, she's turned this up to, like, 15 um, oh, yeah. on 10. She is on- and that's a Richter scale thing, so it's exponential. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, she's so, like- in, like, mad smarm mode as she, like, sneers at Brile and Kira. Yeah, so so he like this this includes this features her being like, Oh, Borail, it's so nice that you brought some entertainment to the monastery. Um, which like gross. Um also also yeah, she just just shy of calls Kira a whore. Right. Just shy of calls yeah. Kira a whore. Yeah. Um she also is like, Oh, Kira, you're welcome to stay as many days as you want, even a week. Like after Borel's like, yeah, just like stay indefinitely. It's cool. Like I got, you know, we got you, babe. And also, and she also like scolds Borel for showing her the orb. I, I can't think of anything more passive aggressive than you can stay as long as you like. Take as many days as you want. Even a week. It's you know, just. 
I feel like I feel like though I feel like this is uh a, I feel that phrase sometimes you know when you have like family visiting or something like that and you're like sure stay as many days as you want even a week. <laughs> I can appreciate when someone is in your space, but Kira is not in her space. Right. Yeah. You know, Kira. Kira is in fact like a guest of somebody else. Yeah. And Wynn is just like there to be a jackass. Well, the problem is Wynn, Wynn, I'm sure, views the whole monastery or wherever they're at as hers, even though she's like some minority faction or whatever it is that she is. Yeah. So back on the station, um, Odo is keeping an eye on the circle's activities back on Bajar. Uh, So in addition to having a shitload of weapons, they also seem to have some friends in high places who are tipping them off whenever security forces get close. He's also shocked when Quirk comes to him, not with a complaint or anything, um, but with information. The Circle are apparently getting their weapons from Krasari traders, which is pretty weird as the Krasari don't even have their own military. Uh, Odo blackmails Quirk by deputizing him uh, and helps himself and, you know, like... He deputizes Quark into helping him solve this mystery. Uh, so when a Krasari freighter lands at the station, um, Lee and O'Brien stall them with cargo inspections and then leave Odo behind as a rat. A literal rat. This is such a buckwild scene where he deputizes Quark. Right. Uh, my note on this scene is, Odo is such a fascist, but he's being entertaining here, so I'll allow it. Uh, Because it is. Normally, his fascism is annoying, but in this case, it's very funny. Um, That he is just straight up, go to jail or or be my my bro on this one. And Cork is like, well, I guess I can, I guess, I I guess we can role play this one this time. Like, yeah. you know, I've still got my safe word. We can go We can go with this. So Cisco takes his own trip to Bajor uh, to visit the commander of their military, one General Krim. Cisco shares the intelligence about the Krasari and questions the lack of military action on the part of the Bajorans against the Circle. He is rightfully concerned that the military will in fact back a coup from the Circle rather than the provisional government. He also stops by to visit Kira to warn her to stay alert for trouble, of course, narratively dooming her to be kidnapped by the circle goons like the instant that he leaves. This this leaves yep. Kira then at, uh, at Circle HQ, where she discovers that Jaro is, in fact, da-da-da, their leader, which I guess explains why he relegated Kira to the planet and stuck Lee on the station where he couldn't interfere with anything. Uh, Kira refuses to cooperate with also him. Also explains why they hired Dracula to be this guy. <laughs> that too. Um, so I also want to point out that the Circle HQ is the return of the generic cave set. Yep. I was going to say, this is the same set that, that Kai, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kai, what's her name? Opaka. Kai Opaka got abandoned in. I'm 100% sure of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was on, it was on TNG like a dozen times too. Easily, this will co- it will it will come back for some incredibly plot relevant scenes. God, I love the generic cave set. God bless. Yep. So Kira refuses to cooperate with Jaro, um, and he he threatens her with Cardassian interrogation techniques. 
Uh, remember, nothing so, says Bajoran independence like Cardassian torture. Yeah, so re- let's rewind a, a few minutes to when we were talking about how O'Brien is, was like horrified that the Cardassians have prisoners of war because they are like do horrific torture. Yeah, remember that. Um, luckily for Kira, though, Quark's contacts have located Circle HQ, and Cisco, Lee, Bashir, and O'Brien manage to rescue her before she's tortured like too badly. And back with the Krasari, Oda, Oda learns who's actually behind the weapons. Surprising absolutely nobody, it's the Cardassians, who want to take advantage of political instability to reoccupy Bajor. He steals the pad with a gull's thumbprint for the shipment as evidence and sneaks back to the station to share his find. The situation on the planet has also escalated. The Circle has cut off all communications, and a squad of Bajoran attack vessels are on their way to the station. Sisko has seven hours to evacuate non-Bajoran staff and civilians. Starfleet informs him that the Prime Directive is in effect, despite Cardassian involvement, but Sisko has a new plan. Uh, He and anyone willing to join him will stay on the station long enough to do a full evacuation of all tech as well, which, you know, that also, that's just following the Prime Directive, man. You know, like leaving tech behind is, you know, that would be be changing another, another civilization, right? Last but not least, we find out about one more unsurprising alliance. Jaro visits Wynne and asks for her public support in exchange for making her Kai. Wynne agrees, but asks for more political power uh, in exchange. Also, the two of them are definitely 100% absolutely fucking. And I will leave my summary here uh, so that Jude can continue it and all of you can go bleach your brains. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely. Yeah. They, they, they got an energy. There's an energy there. Yeah. I, I don't like it, but it's true. <laughs> All right. Episode three, The so, Siege, written by Jude, Michael Jude. Pillar, directed by Winrich Kolb. Jude, yes? how do you feel about the fact that Win fucks? Not good. They're, they're not only, like, fucking, they're having, like, like, nasty old people sex. Yeah, it's not <laughs> like, like it's not, like, chaste either. Like, like the, the way that the way that Win is into this guy. Yeah, it's yeah. not like romantic candlelight sex. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it it's it's like nasty fascist Republican sex. Oh, <laughs> fuck you, God! <sighs> I hate you so much for that mental picture. That turn of phrase is going to haunt me. I live in Ohio. Do you have any idea what that? Oh, God damn. Okay. I'm not going to forget you did that. Uh, all right. Let's see. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining like the telltale, the telltale Jude will remember this. Exactly. Exactly, Justin. I was just about to say that. The third episode opens where the previous one left off with DS9 hung out to dry by the Limp Dick Federation on some moral fucking technicality. Thankfully, Benjamin, not on my watch, motherfuckers, Cisco ain't having that bullshit. So he decides it's going to take days to decommission all the Federation equipment, which is more than enough excuse to send all the Federation and non-Bajoran personnel away, but to stick around himself to cause trouble. He asks the rest of his staff to do the same in the name of the Bajoran friends they've made, and the whole ops team stays. Much to the consternation of Keiko, this includes Miles Fuck the Cardies O'Brien, who is, isn't passing up a chance to kick sand in some Cardi eyes. 
Meanwhile, Nog confronts a depressed Jake that they will be together again soon, since no Ferengi and human have ever been friends before, and nothing can part them. Uh, excuse me while I sit over here weeping big friendship tears for these two precious, precious boys. They're so uh, good. I love that scene so, so much. And it's like, so good. I love yeah. Nog trying to say coup d'etat. Cooped it. Cooped it. it. Um, <laughs> some French Nog's thing. Nog's less endearing. Yeah, some French thing. Nog's less endearing uncle, Quark, sees the whole thing as a chance to act like a commercial airline and oversell seats on the shuttle. I find it very funny that in our notes for this, Jude and I made the same joke, but we used two different airlines. Yeah, I compared Quark to uh, Southwest, and Justin used Delta. And I, I would go with, uh, yeah. I would go with United. Really, I even had that problem with United. Anyway, oh, I was just gonna say Southwest actually is okay in my book because like it's the only, it's the only airline where I can get like appropriate leg space. Mm, yeah. In ops, the command staff tries to figure out how they're going to stop this coup. They can't just ring up the planet and present the evidence they found, since there's that whole planet-wide comms blackout, which doesn't seem suspicious at all. If you're, you know, a legitimate government, you definitely don't need a planet-wide comms blackout or anything. But Lee Nallis says he's got some ramshackle shuttle stashed on one of the moons, so Kira and Dax hop a ride on a runabout to go take it to, uh, to, go take it to the planet. As they board the last ship out, Nalus finally gets a chance to be leaderly and gives a, sp a speech to the nearly rioting Bajorans trying to jack a ride on the last runabout out that they should man or Bajoran up and help save the station. Quark shows up too, just in time to find out that his brother stole his seat to give it to a Dabo girl. You go, Rom. I'm really proud of you. Yeah. On the moon. Dax and Kira enjoy a little girl time as they trek through giant spider webs, check out the even more gigantic and apparently edible spiders, and Kira reminisces fondly about the good old days as they get this piece of shit sh uh, shuttle up and running. They get, uh, they get up over Bajor just in time to get chased and then shot down by two enemy ships. Thankfully, though Kira is badly wounded, they get saved by Kira's hunka hunka munka barile, and he sneaks the two of them into the provisional government chambers where they are able to present their evidence. I am so proud of hunka hunka monk. I I just have to tell you. I I think <laughs> that should be the episode title, honestly. Yeah. Hunka hunka monk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's a through line. It's a through line. It really is. One of my favorite parts with the whole like Kira and Dax thing, I love their banter throughout the entire the entire thing with like Oh my god, it's all of that. like Yeah, <laughs> this is so Dax is just like like not frightened, but Dax is just like disgusted with the state of the shuttle. And Kira's like, uh, this brings back memories. This could explode at any moment. What fun. <laughs> this is this is I think the first time we really get the Kira Dax friendship. Yeah. And Fanon a lot more uh, but it's like this is like the first time we see that like i think this is the first time where they're like oh let's super lead into this dynamic yeah nice. i also like dax dax with her like trill are incredibly allergic to insect bites and her like anxiety about that is like me every time i like <laughs> go into the woods i was gonna ask is that a thing are trill actually super vulnerable to insect bites or is that just 100 percent? Being... yes like extra 
No, it's that's, just that's Dax a thing. being extra. No, no, no. It's like trailer, trailer allergic to insect bites. Huh. As far as every everything I've read, noted. Because they are uh, okay. So because trill are like joined, they're psychic type, and so they are weak to bug types. <laughs> Fuck, that's so true. <laughs> yep. There you go. That's amazing. <laughs> mic drop, my friend. Mic drop. I'm so proud of you. That that was amazing. <laughs> That's uh, spectacular. <laughs> I feel I, I'm so proud of that. I'm just like mentally doing laps right now. It's like, <laughs> okay. Um. Um. Anyway, uh, while all this is going on, Jaro is doing gross political scheming flirts with Vedic Wynn, and up on the station, there's shenanigans. Jaro's insurrection arrives to find the station seemingly deserted. Soon as they start trying to take over, however, shit goes sideways. Power goes out, the security grid goes offline, Cisco and his team of plucky troublemakers, including an incredibly vamping Bashir, and a happily Emery munching Miles take apart the invading force one bite at a time until they are able to sneak Lee Nallis into Ops, where he does his charisma thing again to the general in charge, and he calls the whole thing off right around the same time that the provisional government gets Kira's evidence and says, well, never mind. Just as you think, holy shit, Lee Nallis survived this whole trilogy? That is not how Star Trek usually goes, like I did. Sure enough, Jarl's Lickspittle Lieutenant, who we're going to come back to in a second, uh, tries to kill Cisco and Lee, hero to the end, or bitch, I don't know, kind of depends on how you look at it. He did spend most of the episode complaining that he really doesn't want to live with being a hero, finds a way to not have to live with being a hero by jumping in front of the blast and dies in Cisco's arms. As the episode ends, the station's civilians return, Cisco and Miles welcome their families home, and Kira mourns the death of her hero. Bom, bom, bom. There are a few things about this last episode I, I very specifically need to call out. But the number one, uh, the one of the things that is my fa- favorite thing about this whole trilogy, but specifically about this last episode, is everybody's like, can Bashir handle taking out these guards? Bashir handles it like a boss and he kicks the grill out and he's just like, all super casual, like, what up, bitches? Like, sprawled <laughs> in this vent with his with his phaser dangling off out of his wrist. Just like, I don't even know what the word for this is. But it is so, so, like, I was literally at a loss for what the right word for this is. But it's just, he looks so dramatic. It's so extra. I mean, it's because he has a flair for the dramatic. He really yeah. does. It's tremendous. It is so good. Yeah, it's tr- it's terrific. I love Julian's. My my comment here uh, when I was watching this episode was, Julian, you dramatic bitch. Like, <laughs> it really is a ter- terrific scene. Also, I do think it's very funny that literally as I was thinking, holy shit, Lee Nallis survived all the way to the end of this series. I did not see that. Yeah. And then he dives in front of the blast. Yeah. Yep. So the funny thing is they originally they they originally wanted to make him like a recurring character and like they wanted to have him be thing. 
but they were not sure that they were going to be able to afford to bring the actor back regularly. Uh. That's funny. I love I love this shit. Like when like I, I mean, honestly, I think more TV should be like the 90s where, you know, a sci-fi show is running on such a like ridiculous shoestring budget that it's like an a mid-tier actor who like is doing good work mm, might be out of our price range. Sorry. Better kill him. <laughs> they will they will basically make this character into a like they will basically remake this character and reuse him with a slightly different background. That's funny. Yeah. Speaking of mid-tier actors, um <laughs> oh, remember God. that that uh other that major that I re- referenced earlier? Yeah. Or that other character, the enthusiastic Colonel Day in this last episode is played by Steven Weber who you probably, depending on how fucking old you are, you may know him from Wings or iZombie or one of the NCISs. I don't know which NCI. I don't know which one it is. NCIS New Orleans, dear there Lord. You go. God. But he's actually had a super prolific voice acting career, so it's more likely that you know Weber's voice than you know his face. He has done a fuck ton of voice acting over the years. But yeah, I know him from wings. Cause that was one of my mom's favorite sitcoms when I was growing up. So that's where I know his face from, um, which was like contemporaneous with this. So he was a uh, Norman Osborn in ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 I saw that too. Which, which, which is probably what I know him from. I mean, I know him from star Trek. That's what I know him from, but that's funny that you know him from star Trek. Like he always plays an asshole. It's one notable thing about yeah. him. He always kind of plays a dick. So yeah, he's got that going for him. Anyway, I thought that was cool. He's also done a bunch of audiobooks, which I think is cool. Oh, he was also in The Producers. On, on a serious note, this, like, The Siege, um, I mean, all of these in general, but, like, especially The Siege, hit so different in 2023 than, like, last time I watched through it. I can't imagine why, what, <laughs> what event uh, in recent memory would have given you a different feel for these episodes. Yeah, but it just goes to show that like, you know, for Deep Space Nine in particular, like some of these things just keep like, you know, it's not that they, they don't wane in relevance. Like if anything, a bunch of these things are more relevant now than when they aired. When you make something that is real and has impact and you you make it with like with weight and with gravitas and with real themes the way that they've been doing with Bajor it never really fades as long I mean certainly maybe the graphics don't look as good or whatever but it never really goes away in terms of relevance because it will continually be refreshed as people experience new things and they watch the show in new light. I think a show like DS9, much like we found with B5, is a show that is kind of endlessly rewatchable in a lot of ways because mm. there's always something yeah. new to see as time goes on and you experience new things and you see that there's new ways to watch the show based on, you know, how time has passed. I and I think that's one of the reasons, if I can kind of go off on a brief tangent, one of the reasons I'm really pumped about the new B5 stuff that's coming out someday. Yeah. The both the reimagined uh series 
And uh, JMS has said that if they get more animated movies, they may deal with like other versions of like basically like B5 multiverse kind of things, like other hmm. kind of like kind of hinted that there may be something going on there, like touching on other stuff within the original series timeline that they can't do with new at that they couldn't do at the time. Yeah. And they can't do now because the actors have passed, but they can do with animation. But I think that's exciting because, because B5 lives so much in these real themes that being able to go back and bring the experiences of the last 30 years back to those stories and back to those characters, I think is really, really how has a lot of potential to be really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Over overall, Jude, just like be, between like for it being like a three parter with a like, you know, it's it's not like where you'd see like, you know, part one is the season finale, part two is the season opener, and there can be like weird gaps and stuff, or like people can have like different haircuts. Mm-hmm. But like with it being like a cohesive story, like overall, what is your opinion of this? Oh, I think it's fantastic. I think as a season opener, I think it's a ter- it's it's absolutely f- a fantastic set of episodes, and it's a great way to bring you back into the show and say, "Hey, remember what's good about this show?" Oh, maybe you forgot because fucking this is network TV era and it's been a few it's been a little bit and you've been watching other shit here let me remind you here's three episodes back to back to back doing the things that this show does best complicated people complicated situations Bajor's a fucking hot mess uh, all of that jammed into three episodes and it really gracefully reintroduces all the characters at their peak bullshit. And like they're like end of season peak bullshit, not the top, not their like introduced at the top of season one bullshit. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was great. Yeah. Anna, just having like recently watched season one, does Jadzia's voice change or is it just me? Uh, maybe a little. I think she's like pitching it a little bit different. Yeah, like there, there's there's a much more reserved and like mousy quality to her voice in season like in, in a lot of season yeah. one. And it's very quiet. And now yeah. we're getting like sort of like brash loudmouth Jadzia who's like complaining about spider bites. Right. Also, so I want to talk a bit about Jadzia in and this episode with the with that like ramshackle shuttle um the whole the whole like sequence with the two of them there is hilarious it's one of my favorite like bits from the series honestly oh yeah especially the like you know seat of the pants no just use your eyes shoot and fire you know point and shoot yeah um and the two of them working together and like all the chaos that's happening one of the things that like i think is really interesting with trill is so you know Jedzia has relevant experience right for this ship however her relevant experience yeah. or Dax has relevant experience it's not Jedzia it is Dax's second hosts so this is one of the things that's really like it prompted me to think a bit about like how Trill have experience in things and that like 
they might have extensive experience, but a lot of it is probably really outdated a lot of the time, right? Like Dex yeah. is a, a like like Jed Z is a pretty good engineer. She took engineering classes in Starfleet, and she's got you know Dex has got some past life experience, but like Dex's past life experience is like you know from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, which is just like an interesting thing. Yeah, it's like you have a mechanic who who like you, you like. You, you are able to access the memories of a car mechanic, but that car mechanic lived in 1942. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is great if you need to get your grandpa's beat up truck that he hid in a barn working, but... Which is exactly... Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. It's, in, in this case, and that's why I think it's it's hilarious that Jadzia is like, thank you, Jaro. She's like thanking her old host. I think it's a really nice moment. It's a really cool like character moment for for Dax, yeah. like this showing kind of the way that her various uh, hosts think not like interact with each other, but sort of how Jadzia, the host feels about and sort of interacts with previous hosts. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's something that you have more to look forward to. too. Dope. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do love the, the like random, which host did like, which host is like responsible for this? It's it's like okay, which 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 previously fucked up person is responsible for this ma- this part of the mess? And yeah. Tobin being like the sexless uh, engineer is <laughs> it, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. So I like you know sort of one thing I also really loved is the promenade like fight scene in the siege. Because you yeah. get stuff like smoke grenades running from cover to cover. It's like, oh, Star Trek, you did a good action scene. You used an environment. Having the largest indoor set as like a cohesive unit definitely helps for like staging something like that. Yeah. And it's cool. But like, oh, yeah, they've got like smoke grenades. It's like it's yeah, it's cool. Um, Like I, I, it's normally normally Star Trek fight scenes are not something I write home about. But this one is a good one. Yes. Agree. Agreed. Uh, uh, like something I noticed. This is the first instance where we see people playing with the baseball. Fondling Cisco's ball. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's on the <laughs> desk at first. But this is the first time that people are picking it up and doing stuff with it. I take it that's going to become a thing. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I'm taking that to yes. <laughs> Very much so. Um, oh yeah! If you no one say, touches Cisco's I mean, balls. Oh, phrasing. Um, <laughs> are we not doing phrasing? Um, you say that like it wasn't intentional. <laughs> also, Odo and Quark are the most married two Star Trek characters have ever been. Yeah, that there is some real stuff going on with those two in the, in these episodes. Between the deputization and then Quark just antagonizing him for funsies uh, at the in, in episode one, just helping out just because he knows it's going to drive him up a wall. Like, like I said, Quark has such brat energy and he just wants Odo to pay attention to him and step on him a little bit. And their dynamic is hilarious. And I'm really into, I love that. That's how season two starts is like, I think what I like about these, these episodes is 
I don't think they would work as well as like a season three opener in the sense that like they're, they're doing a certain amount of reintroduction and resetting the stage. Mm-hmm. And I like that, but as a season two opener to say like, okay, we had our season one. We kind of figured some stuff out. Here we go. All out pedal to the metal. Here's our characters. We figured out who they are. Let's go. I think it works terrific. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what the show does for future season openers and seeing whether it does a similar sort of reintroduction every season opener or whether it blitzes forward with new stories or what it what it does. I think that's one thing that the show actually does very well in season openers is because there's al- there's always a time skip. Yeah. Is that it does a good job of like establishing um, like where everybody is and sort of like where folks are at in the in their as their character arcs like there's one season where a lot of stuff happens in in like off screen and like half the cast gets promotions <laughs> interesting and it like it does a really good job of just like introducing that in a very like organic way which i find really cool cool yeah well i'm excited for this season um i'm excited to be i i'm really enjoying the show i was not hesitant to get into more. I mean, I've, I've really been getting more in, into Star Trek as we've been watching it together uh, and watching Strange New Worlds and just talking about DS9. Um, but like really critically watching season one really got me amped to watch the rest of the show because I've really enjoyed these characters and what the show is doing. Oh, one thing I really liked about that I, I for somehow, some reason didn't really connect in, in previous episodes but i really hit me in this one was i love the visual identity of this show mm-hmm. yeah the the show knows what it looks like and and not in a klingons wear bondage outfits and cardassians wear a different kind of bondage outfit and you know federation geeks wear their onesies and that's that's the identity like the Bajorans have a way they dress, but it's not uniform. Like they have, everybody kind of d- dresses different. There's style and fashion and it varies. And when you see like people not in uniform, they dress differently, but it's, it's often very Bajoran influenced. And I like that, that the show has that visual identity for what, what it looks like, what Bajor's style is that's very cool to me uh and i noticed it uh in this Mm -hmm. in this series and i really like that it gives bajor a really authentic feel yeah it feels like it feels like real people wearing comfy clothing most of the time too yeah yeah Yeah. bajor clothes look hella comfy yeah they don't have a lot of high fashion but everything looks like comfortable and wearable and one of my favorite bits is in this is in um the siege where Kira's getting dressed and you can see how like the little like sash like shoulder sash thing they have like how mm. it loops and buckles and I was like yeah. uh, like uh, like not even as like I'm not a costume nerd but I found that really cool of like oh yeah no this like yeah we can see how this alien thing works and yeah, yeah that's really cool I loved just I'm gonna totally I know we were I was like leading us into the wrap up and now I'm like sidebarring again. But the fact that like in the midst of all this chaos, Dax is like, how's the nose? Like 
she's taking a moment to really enjoy getting to wear a Bajoran nose. It yeah. fucking slayed me. I was dying. Yeah. That she was yeah. just like, because, I think I'll keep it. Thinking about keeping it. <laughs> That's the Jadzia Dax that was like, I think it does come out a little bit more throughout like this scene is, season, especially, but it's like sort of like the baseline for Jadzi as I know her is like, you know, even in the middle of a crisis is like, Oh, Hey, how does like, how do you, what does this look? Okay, a, a little thanks. irreverent, I've, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Nonplussed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, we'll get to there, but it's, it's a very curves on. Yeah. Are, I but, mean, don't uh, answer this, but are we going to meet in like flashback? Some of, the Dax previous hosts, I wonder. I mean, I assume her her hosts are dead, so it would have to be flashbacks. I I will say I'll say that like you know something you know something something along those lines like there there will be a in depth exploration of all of Dax's former hosts. Cool. I won't say I won't say uh, how that will uh, play out, but we will we will get to explore all of them. I'm looking forward to it. We got anything else that we want to talk about for this ones beyond? I mean, we we have a i think i think for doing a three-parter we sort of actually did did well for time on this one yeah Yeah, well i think we i think your your idea to do it the way we did it was really good we got through the plot we did our bits we i think we we did a good job with it i i'll say that you know i do enjoy like like gorilla tunnels quirk um he's pretty fun oh my god the light of it's filled with latinum and you know it who told you your mother the day you were born? Ne- never insult the Fergie's mother. Rule of acquisition, you know, but it, uh, which I think <laughs> that was Moogie. It's our first Moogie reference. I don't know what that means, but you'll okay. find out. Um, I also I love that when he drops it, it clinks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to bring this to a place of wrapping up, uh, next time we are going to be covering episodes. Four and five of season two, Invasive Procedures and Cardassians. Until next time, just just keep circling. Keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Yeah. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. Just keep circling. (laughs) the babylon project is an independent production all views expressed on the show are our own clips from the original show remain property of the original owner music information can be found in the show notes the rest of the show is licensed under a creative commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license Fuck Ohio Republicans.